Hey, everybody. I hope you can hear me. I can't hear you or even see you. You know, it's funny. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know. But thank you, Kevin, for, for uh, serving communion. And that last song, what a great song. One thing remains, one thing. The question I've got for you this morning is, what is your one thing? That's our subject matter for this morning, one thing. We're drawing to a close on this Bible Peep series. You know, when I got it going, I thought, well, we'll do it through the summer. And next week, or this coming week, I guess, the kids get back to school. So we've accomplished that, that goal. However, little curve in this, this is a two-weeker. So I need you to promise me that you'll come here this week and hear the rest of it next week. Now, our Bible peeps is actually plural this morning. We're looking at Martha and Mary. So this is a twofer over two weeks. Now, Mary, you know, it's like there's only one name in the Bible. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Mary, the mother of John Mark. Uh, one was called the other Mary. Can you imagine being the other Mary? But as soon as you say Mary and Martha, everybody pretty much knows who you're talking about. Now, we actually don't have a lot of personal information on Mary and Martha. So let me fill you in a little bit on what we do have. They come into the scriptures on three separate occasions. Luke chapter 10, which we're going to look at this morning, and then in John chapter 11, and then again in John chapter 12, which are two different instances. So we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So let me give you a little bit of background. Martha and Mary were sisters. They had at least one brother. His name was Lazarus. Uh, there's no indication of children or, or husbands. There, there may have been, there, nothing is said. They lived in the village of Bethany, which was just outside of Jerusalem. Now, there may have been another person that lived in the house with them, but you'll have to come to next week to find out who that was. One of the things that we know is that the three of them, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, were close personal friends of Jesus. They were absolutely dear friends of Jesus. We don't know where, when, or how the relationship began, but from the scriptures, you know, it, it seems like this was a family that Jesus was close to. Their home seemed to be a place that, that he felt safe in. In fact, as we see next week, in the last week of his life, what a lot of people call the Passion Week, prior to being executed, there's a good possibility that Jesus spent the entire week staying at Mary and Martha's home. For Jesus, it was a place of safety and comfort. Can you imagine that? Your house being a place of safety and comfort for Jesus. That's awesome. More on that next week. Now, even though we don't have a lot of information on Mary and Martha, there are so many books, so many books. And the reason for that is just a short passage of Scripture, but it's a really juicy passage of Scripture. There's a lot in it. So we're going to dive in. I'm going to read the whole passage to you, and then we'll go back out and kind of dissect it a little bit. So this is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here 
while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So just five verses, but there's so much in it. So let's kind of go back and we'll, we'll dive into it. Let's go back to verse 38. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. We know that the village from previous, from other scripture is Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a hot spot for Jesus. It was a dangerous place. So typically when he was going down to Jerusalem, he didn't stay in there. He would stay out at Bethany. It carries on, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, it, it, it's kind of odd because we know that Lazarus lived there and Mary lived there. And it wasn't common for a woman to own a home, especially if a man lived there. But it seems like this was Martha's home. So most of the theologians have deducted that Lazarus was probably a kid brother. Martha the eldest, she's the boss, Mary second in command, and then Lazarus at the bottom of the, of the stepladder. So Martha welcomes Jesus into her, her home. Now Jesus has got a whole entourage with him. There are at least 13 of them, the 12 disciples and Jesus and maybe more. So for Martha to open up her home to that number of people tells us it's a good size house. And from what happens in the next passage of scripture, they probably were reasonably wealthy. Says her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So it could have been that Martha began sitting at his feet, but at some point she's distracted by all of the work that needs to be done, all of the preparation, all of the cooking. These people need to eat, and it's no small deal to cook for at least 16 people. I mean, there's Jesus, his 12 disciples, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that's 16, and there may have been other. That's a lot of work. Actually, it's a, a huge amount of work. You know, I know at Christmas time, sometimes we have up to 13 people in our house for Christmas dinner. And preparing Christmas dinner is crazy, starts the night before, and it's a massive amount of work. And that's with all the modern conveniences we have, you know, electricity, gas, blenders, dicers, Teflon-coated pots and pans, a stove that you can actually adjust the temperature, burners that you can turn on or off. Now think about this. Martha is cooking dinner old style, and I'm talking old, old style. She's using wood as her fuel. So logs that have to be chopped up and put in there. She's not using nonstick pans or Ginsu knives, remember those ads? Or a dicer or a blender or anything like that. There's no fridge, there's no freezer, there's no running water. So think about that. Get your head around that for a minute. Preparing a meal back in those days was an absolutely massive undertaking. For 16 or so people, I mean, that's hours and hours of work. Now, there's something really interesting going on in this passage of Scripture. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Back in Jesus' day, there were certain social norms that we no longer have, you know, cultural differences between today and then. 
for Mary to be sat at Jesus' feet was beyond unusual. That was the domain of males. It certainly was not normal for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi and be taught by a rabbi. That was men's work. And part of the reason it took all day to take care of the house. It took all day to cook and clean and wash clothes without running water. So mom, the ladies were busy. Now, what's interesting to me, the fact that Jesus allowed it says very much about his attitude toward woman in general. As you read through the Gospels, it seems that Jesus had no issue with accepting woman on equal terms with a man. Now, a little bit later, I know Paul, we always go to Paul. Paul, when he was writing his letters, it was a big issue for Paul. But I believe that was more of a cultural issue rather than a faith issue. Now, I know some of you are not going to agree with that. You're going to have issue with that. But from the scriptures, Jesus didn't seem to have issue with it. In fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 8, talks about Jesus going on tour with the 12 disciples. It's quite comical. It says he goes on tour with the 12 disciples and a group of women that supported them financially. So we, we've got this strange scene. Martha's preparing. She's cooking this massive dinner for 16 people or so. Jesus is in the living room. He's holding court. He's teaching. Everybody's in there, and Mary, the other woman in the house, is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. Now, something's wrong with this picture, and Martha knows it. And, and I can just imagine Martha, she's chopping up the vegetables, and she's muttering to herself. She's probably given Mary the evil eye. You know, have you ever had this one? Trying to, you know, no one's else supposed to notice. Get here. Come here, you. And Mary doesn't notice. Or she either doesn't notice or... She ignores it. She's focused on Jesus. And I can just hear Martha grumbling. You know, she's chopping up the carrots or whatever else. Who does she think she is? I'm in here doing all the work. She's out there on her rear expecting me to do everything. Why do I have to do everything? And she gets to sit in there. And it, and it gets to the point where Martha's bubbling over. And she does what we sometimes do. Well, if Mary's not going to listen to me, I'll talk to someone she will listen to. We're going to elevate this. So she goes and it's really strange. Jesus is in there. He's the guest. He's the guest of honor. And Mary and Martha, they know that Jesus is no ordinary person. He is something special. And he's teaching. But Martha is so incensed that she decides to interrupt Jesus' teaching. You know, I can imagine it. Excuse me. Excuse me, Jesus. Jesus, a minute, please. Maybe have a moment. I, I don't know if she called him away or, or whether she just publicly blurts it out. But look at the way she phrases the question. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, it, <laughs> just, I love this. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. It's such a manipulative way to phrase it. It's like, well, obviously, Jesus, you can see the problem here. I don't need to tell you what's wrong with this situation. You can see it for yourself, as can we all. However, I do need your assistance in resolving the situation. But Jesus looks at her, he says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, 
You're worried and upset over all these details. And Martha's thinking, no kidding, Einstein. Well, you know, Einstein came along a bit later, but you're worried and upset? Absolutely, she was worried and upset. She wants to serve Jesus. She don't want to let Jesus down. She's worried that the food's not going to be ready. She's upset that nobody else is concerned about that. It's a big deal to have Jesus come to your home for dinner. Just think about that. If Jesus comes to your home for dinner, right, you're front center. Yes, sir. No, sir. She knew what an honor this was. Serving Jesus was her number one concern, and she wanted to get it right. After all, she invited him in. But it's not going according to her plan. And she is justifiably worried and upset. You know, when you look through the commentaries and all the books that have been written on this, it, it really seems that a lot of people come at it from good sister, bad sister. But that's really not accurate. Uh, and I think that the way that Jesus responds to Martha shows that he understands what's going on here. She's serving the Lord. And she wants to serve him to the best of her ability. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. And Jesus continues on. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Not the response that Martha was expecting. Now, Jesus is incredibly gentle in his response to Martha. He doesn't rebuke her. He redirects her. Don't be concerned about that right now, Martha. There's only one thing to be concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. So, you know, I've been looking at this passage of Scripture all week. Thinking about this one thing. Frustratingly, Jesus doesn't elaborate you know, what's the one thing? And, you know, and there's the Sunday school answer, of course. And when I look in the commentaries, everybody goes down the same road. Well, the one thing is Jesus, right? You've got to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's Jesus. And that kind of makes sense. But there's more to it because Martha had found Jesus. I mean, she's the one that invited him in. Martha found Jesus just as Mary had found Jesus. And yet God says to her, Jesus says to her, she's lacking this one thing. Mary's discovered this one thing. So what is this one thing? Well, if you look up this one thing in, in, in Scripture, there's a couple of other times that it comes up. Way back in Psalm 27, verse 4. This is David. He says, the one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, the most absolutely most important thing to him is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. So what, what is David talking of here? What is his one thing, the thing he desires? To be in the presence of the Lord. He is seeking intimacy with the Lord. It's not just knowing the Lord or having the Lord in your house. This is being with the Lord. 
Paul talks about one thing when he wrote, wrote his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He presses on to reach the end of the race. So he's not talking about earthly ministry. He's talking about beyond that. I want the prize. I want the prize. He wants the heavenly prize, which is to be in the presence of the Lord, to be intimate with the Lord. Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord. That's her one thing. She's focused on her relationship with the Lord, being in his presence. Martha was in the kitchen working for the Lord. She was focused on the meal. So what was Martha's one thing? Well, Martha's one thing was seeking Jesus' approval. If I do this one thing for him, and maybe for these others, that will please him. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking to please Jesus, to serve Jesus. I preach about it all week. But it is more important to be with Jesus than it is to simply serve Jesus. Your service to Jesus must flow out of your relationship with Jesus. If you put your service to Jesus above your relationship with Jesus, your focus is wrong. Mary's one thing was to be with Jesus, to sit at his feet. I don't think she was being mean to Martha. I think she was simply enthralled to be at the feet of Jesus. She's soaking it in. She's filling up on Jesus. Now, here's something important. Jesus is not as concerned about what you do for him as he is concerned about your relationship with him. Let me say that again. Jesus is not as concerned about what you do for him as he is concerned about your relationship with him. The relationship must always come first. Everything else flows from the relationship. What you do from Jesus should flow from your relationship with Jesus. If you neglect the relationship, your service will become toilsome, fearful, and resentful. I'm sure there are some people that are sitting out there or watching online that would just check that box. Yep, I've been there. If your service to Jesus takes precedence over your relationship with Jesus, you're going to experience the following symptoms. Self-pity, self-righteousness, and self-destruction. And we can all see the common word there, right? Look at Martha's question to Jesus. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? That's self-pity, isn't it? No fair. It's not fair. Why am I doing all the work? Doesn't it seem, it's just not fair, Jesus. And then she carries on, that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. That's self-righteousness. It's not fair. And I'm self-righteous. I'm just so holy. I'm just so much like Jesus. And, and, it, and it's not in there, but the next step is burnout. And think about it. There's absolutely no way that Martha, on her own, in her own strength and abilities, can prepare a meal for this number of people under those conditions, chucking wood in the burner and all that, and it come out right. 
it's just not going to happen. Something's going to get burned or something's not going to be cooked enough or it just isn't going to happen. And if you keep doing that kind of thing, you will burn out. And in the process of burnout, we've all you know, seen this in people. There's a lot of screaming. There's a lot of hollering. There's a lot of blaming. There's a lot of whining. It's ugly. Quite honestly, I believe it's why so many pastors burn out. They put the work of the Lord ahead of their relationship with the Lord. This is all about focus. Let me show you what I mean. Just imagine there's three sisters, okay? I'm going to throw another sister in there. Martha, Marianne, and Mary. Jesus is in the living room. He's teaching. It's a big deal. It's all important. Martha and Marianne are in the kitchen. Mary's in the living room with Jesus. What do you think Martha and Marianne are talking about? Think they're talking about Jesus? I doubt it. Think they're even talking about the meal? I doubt it. They're talking about Mary. Their focus is on Mary. How come we're doing all the work and she's not doing any of the work? You know, while they might be about the work they're doing, their focus is on Mary. Think about that. Jesus is in the living room and their focus is on Mary. Their second focus is on the food. Jesus is in the living room, and he's the last thing on their mind. You see, when we serve Jesus with a wrong heart, the focus is not Jesus. It's going to be what everybody else is doing or not doing or how they're doing it and what I'm doing and what I'm not doing, because then there's guilt, too. It gets pretty messy. So back to this. Martha's in the kitchen. Jesus in the living room. Who's Martha thinking about? She's thinking about Mary. Now, we don't have the rest of the story. So I'm going to kind of fill it in from what I think happens. So Martha's in the kitchen. She's all frustrated. She comes out to Jesus, tells Jesus her complaint. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Jesus redirects her. He says, Mary's found the one thing. I'm not going to take it away from her. And I'll bet the conversation carried on. Why don't you come on and find the one thing too, Martha? Something is she goes back in the kitchen and she puts the food on hold. Takes the stuff off the burners or whatever, not burners, but whatever they're cooking it on. And maybe it's ruined. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. She puts it on hold. She comes and she sits at the feet of Jesus with her sister. Now she's basking in all the Jesus stuff. She's feeling the love of Jesus. She's hearing the teaching. She's getting the one thing that Mary was getting. Now, at some point, Jesus says, I'm hungry. And maybe then Martha and Mary jump up and they head to the kitchen. Maybe some of the men too. I, I don't know. Don't want to get into that. But here's the point. After they've both sat at the feet of Jesus and experienced Jesus, and they go in the kitchen to start preparing this food, what do you think they're talking about? They're talking about Jesus. The, the, the focus has completely changed. Their whole attitude toward their work, the work they're doing, has changed because the focus is not even the work anymore. It's not each other. It's not anybody else. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what they've just experienced. Do you remember, hey, you know, when he said such and such and such, what do you think he meant? Oh, I think he meant so-and-so. And, and the meal no longer is important. You know, maybe Martha grabs the the lamb or whatever they're cooking, it's all burned. 
She looks at Mary, oh my gosh, look at the lamb. They both laugh, oh my goodness, look at that. And then they start talking about Jesus again. When you get this relationship right, your focus changes. Your reason for doing what you're doing changes. Right focus, right heart. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. But here's the thing. I mean, serving is one thing. It's easy to let our focus slip. Sometimes we let other things become our one thing. In Jeremiah chapter 9, he talks about this. And so look at this first word. This is what the Lord says. Not Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Some people allow their need to be looked up to, to be important, to be admired. That becomes their one thing. Their image becomes their one thing. Or the powerful boast in their power. Some allow position, authority, power, control, their their need to be the top dog. That becomes their one thing. Or the rich boast in their riches. Sometimes our stuff or our desire for more stuff or just having people look at our stuff. Or maybe even financial security. That becomes our one thing. Money becomes the one thing. But look what the Lord says in verse 24. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, should boast in this one thing, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. And that's the bottom line of it, love. If you allow anything other than Jesus to become your one thing, position, power, pleasure, possessions, and all the subcategories like fear and resentment, jealousy, hurt, then your focus is going to change and your life will change. But if Jesus is your one thing, your life gets so much better. As the song said, one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. When Jesus is your one thing, then love has become your one thing. Serving him is not going to be an issue. Being obedient to him is not going to be an, an issue. Your vision and your life will be focused on the one thing, Jesus. So how's it going with you and Jesus? Is he the one thing? Is he the first thing in your life? I realize, you know, I've left you hanging a bit here. We haven't talked about how we make Jesus our one thing. That's going to be next week when we look at Miriam Martha's other encounters with Jesus. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving us your son, that he came to walk with us. And Father, I'm going to offer up a prayer of confession for myself and and for all those who are here and those that watch online and maybe will watch later. Father, sometimes we let other things become our one thing. And sometimes, just like Martha, it can be important things. We think we're serving you with a right heart. And our one thing has become the service. 
instead of you, instead of Jesus. Sometimes we let fear be our one thing. We won't serve you in the way that you called us to serve you or really give ourselves over to you. We hold on to things out of fear. Father, I pray for each and every one of us. I pray for me. When, when our eyes slip from Jesus Christ, the one thing, please treat us gently. Please come to us, Lord Jesus, please come to us the way that you came to Martha. Martha, Martha, you're worried about all these details. There's only one thing that is important. Father, I ask that you would redirect us, refocus us, so that out of this one thing, this relationship with you, everything else in our lives flow, that we may have joy and love and hope and everything that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to thank Kevin again for serving communion. It's kind of difficult when it's your first time doing it and Everything goes the other way. But Kevin's going to come up and, uh, and just close out the service. Hey, I love you all. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. something you know we try to help in in those type of situations so anyway thanks for coming and uh we'll pray and get out of here dear heavenly father lord i just thank you for uh making everything happen it didn't happen in the order it was supposed to but it happened pretty smoothly and uh the devil did not win today lord so we give you praise for that and i just give you praise for everybody that's here today in the building and everybody that's online and just uh, may we be with them throughout the week lord amen